Help defend the church by becoming a supporter of Family Life International. Your contributions enable us to continue our work to promote the faith, defend the family and promote the sanctity of life. Make a real difference today. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk slash donate. The reading from St. Paul's epistle, first epistle to the Thessalonians. Brethren, we give thanks to God always for you all, making remembrance of you in our prayers without ceasing, being mindful of the work of your faith and labor and charity, and of the enduring of the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ before God and our Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved of God, your election. For our gospel hath not been unto you in word only, but in power also, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much fullness, as you know what manner of men we have been among you for your sakes. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, receiving the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were made a pattern to all who believe in Macedonia and in Achaia, for from you was spread abroad the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and in Archaea, but also in every place. Your faith, which is towards God, is gone forth, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves relate to us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who hath delivered us from the wrath to come. And from the 13th chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel. At that time, Jesus spoke to the multitudes this parable. The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field which is the least indeed of all seeds. But when it is grown up, it is greater than all herbs and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and dwell in the branches thereof. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like to leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until the whole was leavened. All these things Jesus spoke in parables to the multitudes. And without parables, he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden from the foundation of the world. Our blessed Lord, at the beginning of his ministry, spoke clearly. He also worked many miracles without being asked, and indeed, even asking for nothing, were told that they came in the multitudes and touched him and were healed. But after the death of 
John the Baptist, our Lord adopted a different approach. He no longer spoke except in parables. And the reason was the death of, of St. John had made it very clear that one was either for God or against God. To be for God meant to be for Christ. If one were resistant to the grace of Christ, then one was also resistant to God's grace. Our Lord himself makes that clear. And so in speaking in parables, he did one of two things. First, there were those who were sincere and wanted to know. They would be the ones in whom the parables would be intriguing, it would grip their hearts, and they would make the necessary effort to understand. And we'll see that when the disciples alone with the Lord, they said, explain to us the meaning of the parables. And our Lord, in doing so, would give us also the tools by which we could interpret the parables. But to those who were resistant to God's grace, the parables would remain stories and nothing more. And therefore, their guilt would not be increased. Because when we have been given grace, when we do have the knowledge and we abuse it, we are even more guilty. St. Paul himself says, woe to those who turn back. It will be better for them not to have known the gospel in the first place. And so in speaking these parables, the Lord expounds the way in which the kingdom of heaven will come. And the kingdom of heaven, of course, we know, has already come in as much as it is Christ himself. He is the kingdom. It is also his body, which is the church. And so the church itself is the kingdom and Christ's presence on earth. And each one of us, being living stones in the church, necessarily must preach the same message that the head preaches. So what is the church's role here on earth? The Lord, we're told, spoke the parable to the multitudes. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least among all the seeds, but when it is grown up, it is greater than all the herbs and becomes a tree. And all the birds of heaven, all birds of the air, come and dwell in its branches. So if we begin, the man is Christ himself. The seed that he has sown is the gospel message. It is the least of the seeds, because when we look at the essence of the gospel, doesn't it appear as foolishness? Let us consider what the essence of the gospel is. God became man. Okay, we can accept that, because even among the pagans, their gods appeared as men. They didn't become men, but they appeared as men. And so the pagans could accept that much of the gospel. But when we go to the next stage, 
that God died for us, the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Now, this really is too much. That God died for us, and therefore, the gospel is foolishness to the Jews, a stumbling block to the Gentiles. And even if we say he rose again, that doesn't help because people do not rise from the dead. And St. Paul had exactly that problem. He went to Athens and he walked around the city looking at all of the altars and the statues to the various gods. And then he went to the Acropolis where the, the wise men gathered. And he started saying, ah, men of Athens, etc. I see that you are religious people, so on. I walked around and I saw these wonderful statues and altars to the various gods. I, however, have come to speak to you about the true God. And then he spoke about Christ, Jesus, who is God. And then he said, he rose again from the dead. And immediately laughter broke out. And they said, the wise men of Athens said, this is very interesting, we'll speak with you about it another day. They dismissed him as a madman. The dead do not rise. And so in this sense, the gospel is small and insignificant compared with the wisdom of the world. If we bring it into our own age, what is the wisdom of the world? To take just one example that is topical, relevant at the moment. Let's think of something like contraception. When contraception was brought in formally, some 50, 60 years ago, the argument was it would reduce population, it would liberate women, it would reduce abortions, etc. What is the consequence? Well, there's still a claim, false, there's still a claim that the world is overpopulated. There's still a, women have not been liberated. On the contrary, they have been enslaved because now they become simply, as Pope Paul VI warned in his encyclical, they become simply things for their husbands. And it's not even that. They become now playthings of men in general. And of course, abortions increase astronomically. And so to counter this, we're told, we must have sex education because then the youth will be informed about the various means of birth control and they will be able to control themselves, etc., etc. What has happened? The exact opposite. Our youth have become sexualized and abortion has increased, STIs, sexually transmitted, Diseases have increased, and it gets worse and worse. We've seen the breakdown of this, the, this, the moral fabric of society, as Pope Paul said in Humani Vitae. So the way the world thinks is not actually authentic or real or even valid. The gospel, on the other hand, 
appears to be stupid as the world sees it. And so it is indeed called the smallest of seeds. Yet, when it is planted in the field, what happens? It grows into a mighty tree. And this is exactly what we have seen for the church. When it was planted by Christ, it was afflicted by the most terrible persecutions. Yet, after 300 years, 300 years of persecution, it suddenly became a tree, and then more than a tree, a great tree. And all the birds of the air flocked to it and found shelter in its branches. All the nations throughout the world, there were those who came and found safety in its branches. And there, is, there are very few countries where the church has not been persecuted. And this is why we can, our Lord describes it quite accurately as a mustard seed. Because when we look at it, it is small and insignificant. It has no scent. You can barely see it. Yet, when you crush it, then is the flavor released. As we know, with mustard, how it stings, how it burns. And likewise for the gospel. It is only when we have accepted it and we have crushed it through tribulation, which is what St. Paul spoke about in the letter to the Thessalonians. He is admiring the Thessalonians because of the tribulations they incurred on account of the gospel, and they still persevered in faith, hope, and charity. So then, this is, in fact, the, the, the seed, the, the church is the seed, which bears fruit when it is crushed, when it goes through tribulation and difficulty. At regular periods through history, the church, universal, has suffered. In the Arian heresy, certainly. There was much tribulation for the Catholics, for Catholics. The Arians seemed to have the upper hand. They had the support even of the emperor. Catholics were thrown out of their own churches. They were hunted down. Read the story of St. Athanasius, how he sought refuge in the wilderness, how he was regarded as a madman. A Athanasius, a madman, because he insisted that Christ is God. True God from true God, very God from very God, light from light, he insisted on this. All the bishops of the East, at least the great majority of them, had succumbed to the heresy that was willing to compromise on this truth that God became man, the fundamental basic gospel truth. It took a long time, 70 years, more than that. But eventually, Athanasius proved right. He was the one who had the Catholic faith. And then we think of the 10th, 9th, 10th, 11th centuries when, again, the universal church was in turmoil because of the corruption, the turpitude among the hierarchy, even reaching the apostolic see, even the papal throne. We have popes of whom we are ashamed. 
but they were inflicted on us because of our infidelity. But even out of this, when all seemed lost, God did raise up great popes, among them Gregory, Saint Gregory VII, to restore order again. But human nature doesn't change. Again, infidelity. And in the following centuries, it got so bad that the Protestant revolution began, taking large sections of the, of the church and dragging it into heresy. And the man who did this, Luther, what did he say about the church? What did he say about the mass? He called the mass, Martin Luther, he said, all the brothels, all the blasphemies, all the fornications and adulteries, all the sorceries, all of them together are not worse than a single papish mass. He said, you can do all of those things, you will not sin as greatly as attending the mass. He said also, I believe if we can destroy the mass, we will destroy papism itself. And so that dreadful century, the 16th century and 17th centuries, we have this terrible attack on the mass. 500 years later, we have Catholic bishops and cardinals calling Martin Luther a great theologian. What are we to think? Is it that they haven't read history? You don't need to even read history. All you need to do is to read the Council of Trent and what another saint God raised up to answer the, the um, Protestant revolutionaries. Just read what they said. Pius V stands out, but equally there are others. St. Robert Bellarmine, St. Ignatius Loyola, and so on. They all stood up and they answered Luther and his cohorts. They answered them. So you don't even need to know history, just know the Catholic faith. And we have to ask ourselves what is happening when even at the highest levels of the church, we hear a voice saying, and referring to the youth in particular, those who attend and hold on to the ancient rites are rigid. Well, I'll take it as a compliment because the mustard, the, 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 the mustard seed grew into a tree and I don't know any tree that's not rigid. So we'll take it in the best possible sense. And then in our own time, we have modernism spoken about from the 19th century. Blessed Pius IX warned us and Leo XIII. And above all, St. Pius X 
He warned us about this poison that is entered into the, 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 the fold and is attacking the root. He said they're not content with attacking the branches. On the branches, these are where the birds rest, but they're attacking the root so as to kill the tree. And modernism essentially says the gospel must be adapted to the world. It must be made understandable by modern man. Not that modern man should understand the foolishness of God's wisdom, of God's foolishness. St. Paul himself says God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. So the Lord speaks another parable that's relevant for our time. Because modernism is literally sapping the strength of the church. We already see the division it has caused. There are so many of the Catholics, so many Catholics who are forgetting what it is that we believe. The essence of our faith. God became man. As man, he died for our salvation. Dying, he rose again for our justification. He sent the Holy Spirit for our sanctification. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. And so the Lord, in speaking this other parable, says, the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who took and hid three measures of meal until the whole was leavened. Leaven changes whatever it is placed in into its own self. And so the Lord tells us that the kingdom of heaven is like this leaven, the gospel, which is taken by the church and it's mixed within the fabric of society. And then it will change the society. And in each of the periods I've mentioned, this is exactly what has happened. Because the leaven, that is the faithful, the truly faithful Catholics, because they've been persecuted, hide within the greater society, hide there, remaining faithful, and in this way, change the society. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. It didn't happen overnight at the Arian heresy. Even after Athanasius was vindicated, it was still necessary to change the society. And this was the work of the Catholics in the success in decades. Likewise, at the time of the investiture crisis in the 9th and 10th centuries, Gregory VII's work almost appeared to be defeated, but he had already planted the seed, the leaven, and eventually the society changed. At the Council of Trent, likewise, there were so many saints who went out amidst great persecution. Think of England. There were Catholics who were hidden in the society. And then there were the, the priests who went there again and again. The great martyrs, Edmund Campion, for instance, or Oliver Plunkett, who was the last to be executed. They still went back and they worked among the few faithful in England. 
It didn't happen overnight. It took over 200 years of persecution, real persecution. So great was the persecution that right up until the end of the 19th century, 1800s, Catholic churches could not be built on main roads in England. That's why you go to England, you always see a Catholic church in some side alley, even um, Westminster Cathedral. Right now, it's on the main road. But before, um, perhaps about 30 years ago, it was literally on an, in an alley. What happened? The, the um, city council, Westminster City Council, when they put up the new buildings, they broke down the army and navy store, which hid the cathedral. And in its place, they have the square. So now you can see Westminster Cathedral on the main road. This was the kind of persecution that Catholics endured. In our day, we should not be on ex we should not be surprised if we're going to be persecuted. We are. And the persecution will begin from even inside the church. So we're we going to be discouraged? Far from it. We are only repeating what the saints and martyrs have been through. If our church is taken from us, then we will do what the earlier Christians did. We'll have mass in our houses, or we'll build new chapels as they did in England. Or we will gather even on the fields, in the moors, in the mountains, in caves, wherever. But we will hold fast to our faith, knowing that our blood is of the same kind as the blood of the martyrs. So we are not discouraged, even when we see turmoil all around. We are not discouraged. Our Lord spoke to us in parables. The one thing he didn't say in parables was, take up your cross and follow me. He meant that literally. He said they will hand you over to kings and governors, to sahendrins and councils. Do not be worried about what to say. What you have to say will be given to you on that day. This is the best of times. This is worst of times. But this is the time God has given us. It's the best of times because we have the means to live in these times. It's the worst of times because the danger is great. Let us ask the Lord then, who never abandons his people, who is always faithful, to give us the courage to remain faithful, to persevere to the end, to save our souls and the souls of all those who are dear to us and even the souls of those who persecute us. Christ, who is God, became man for the salvation of sinners, that is, for all of us. We are all sinners, but please God, we are, what really matters, repentant sinners, because those are the ones who belong to him and who will live with him forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
This MP3 recording has been made available by Family Life International. Help us to make many more available in order to promote our Catholic faith. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk and donate today.